Good day and welcome to the Duolingo fourth quarter 2021 earnings call. All participants will be in listen-only mode. Should you need assistance, please signal a conference specialist by pressing the star key followed by zero. After management's opening remarks, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. If you have a follow-up question, you may re-enter the question queue. To ask a question, you may press star then one on your touchtone phone. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. Please note this event is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference over to Debbie Bellavan, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator, and welcome everyone to Duolingo's fourth quarter and full year 2021 earnings call. Today, after market close, we released a shareholder letter with our results and commentary, which you can find on our IR website at investors.duolingo.com. With me on the call today are Luis Vanon, co-founder and CEO, Matt Scarupa, CFO, and Bob Meese, our Chief Business Officer. We'll begin with some brief remarks before opening the call to Q&A. Just to remind everyone that during this call, we'll make forward-looking statements regarding our future events and financial performance, which are subject to material risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially. We caution you to review the risk factors contained in our SEC filings. These forward-looking statements are based on assumptions that we believe to be reasonable as of today, and we undertake no obligation to update these statements as a result of new information or future events. Additionally, we'll present both GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures on today's call. These non-GAAP measures are not intended to be considered in isolation from, a substitute for, or superior to our GAAP result, and we encourage you to consider all the measures when analyzing our performance. And with that, I'd now like to turn the call over to Luis. Thank you, Debbie, and welcome, everyone. We are a global company that serves learners in every country in the world. I want to start by acknowledging the horrible situation in Ukraine, saying that we stand with all those working towards peace, and that our hearts are with the Ukrainian people. Since our shareholder letter contains an in-depth discussion of our performance, we'll just provide some brief remarks and then get right into Q&A. First, as I always do, I'd like to start out by reminding everyone about our mission. Since we started the company, our mission has been to develop the best education in the world and make it universally available. Everything we do is guided by this mission. We started out with languages to help reduce economic inequality but we are expanding into other areas of education in order to touch even more people's lives. I'm very proud to say that we've made tremendous progress towards our mission, but we are just getting started. I'd also like to congratulate our entire team on the amazing performance they delivered in 2021. Not only did we take the company public, but we also delivered incredible user and subscriber growth. Our total bookings and revenue both grew by 55%. Our team continued its unwavering focus on creating quality products that are fun and effective. In 2021, we rolled out a number of new product innovations that further increased user engagement and retention and ultimately drove more conversions to our premium subscription. In fact, during the fourth quarter, we had the highest number of DAUs, MAUs, and net new subscribers ever. We also continued to build a beloved brand that is synonymous with language learning. The vast majority of our growth comes organically through word of mouth. As we move into 2022, we'll continue building upon this momentum. We're planning to introduce an entirely new design of the Duolingo app home screen that we believe will further drive user engagement. We'll continue making Duolingo more social with features that allow learners to interact with each other. We'll continue to grow acceptance of the Duolingo English test at institutions around the world. We'll refine the Duolingo ABC app with a fresh design to drive 
engagement, and learning efficacy, and we are excited to launch a math app towards the end of the year. And now, Matt will discuss our outlook for 2022. Thanks, Luis. First, I'd like to reiterate that it was a great year for our business, and we are very proud of our performance. Our product and marketing initiatives paid off, and we surpassed our own high expectations, resulting in record metrics and accelerating growth in the fourth quarter. Looking ahead to 2022, we plan to continue prioritizing our investment in R&D in order to fuel growth, make our products even better, and increase our monetization opportunities. For Q1 2022, we are guiding to 92 to 95 million for total bookings, 75.5 to 78.5 million for revenue, and adjusted EBITDA of negative 5.5 to negative 2.5 million. And for the full year 2022, we are guiding to 372 to 382 million for total bookings, 332 to 342 million for revenue and adjusted EBITDA of negative five to negative one million. I want to make sure to point out that our four-year guidance takes into account our typical booking seasonality, with Q1 and Q4 being our strongest quarters. This seasonality was confirmed in the fourth quarter of last year. We plan to invest significantly in R&D this year, in engineering, product, and design, and for us, that means investing in talent. We believe we have been a beneficiary of the great resignation that started last year, as we have added some very talented new employees to our team while keeping the talent we have. Our attrition rate was less than 6% last year. We believe this trend will continue, and we want to seize the opportunity. We have been able to attract talent because of our mission-driven and fun culture, and we believe that that has helped us grow. This approach to growth through investment in our product is consistent with how we've grown historically, and that's what we plan to do in our language learning app, in the DET, ABC, and in our math product. On the marketing side, we plan to continue to spend on influencers and innovative brand marketing in underpenetrated markets and to continue to invest in highly efficient performance marketing, like our global DAU campaign. We also plan to expand our marketing efforts related to bringing in new test takers to the DET. As we have since our founding, we plan to continue to manage the business with cost and capital discipline as we did last year, which is why we are confident in our adjusted EBITDA guidance that is nearly break-even. And now I'll turn it back to Luis. Thank you, Matt. Before we wrap up, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank each and every team member for all your hard work this year, to thank our learners who put their trust in us, and to thank our shareholders for all your support. We look forward to sharing more with you in the coming quarters. And now we would be happy to take your questions. We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star then one on your touchtone phone. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the key. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. If you have a follow-up question, you may re-enter the question queue. At this time, we will pause momentarily to assemble our roster. And our first question will come from Mario Liu of Barclays. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks for taking the questions. Uh, so the first one is on conversion. Uh, you know, coming in at 6.2%, it's a pretty big improvement even from the third quarter. Uh, just curious if you could, you know, identify what kind of drove this improvement 
um, and what conversion percentage uh, is implied in the fiscal 22 guidance. Um, and then secondly, um, within the EBITDA margin guidance of FLAT for 22, uh, Matt, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about each of the cost items. Um, should we expect, you know, leverage and costs due to the Google Play changes um, and also in sales and marketing GNA and that being offset fully by marketing? Any color there would help. Thanks. Hi, hi, Mario. Uh, this is Luis. Um, so, you know, first you ask, uh, you know, what drove the, the increase in, in the conversion? You know, uh, as you saw, we increased conversion by about two percentage points uh, in, in the year. Um, and that's, you know, basically we, we've seen increases in conversion ever since we launched, you know, Duolingo Plus, our subscription package in, in 2017. We were increasing about one percentage point per year. Uh, we seem to have increased by, by about two percentage points uh, in, in the last year. And the way we've been increasing it this whole time is just by running literally hundreds of A-B tests to get more people to convert. Um, the types of, you know, some, some of these are, are very small A-B tests. They're just things that are, you know, just changes to the purchase page. Some of them are, are, are bigger things like new features uh, to, to, the, to, to the premium package. Uh, so it's just basically been, been a lot of things. Uh, a couple of things that were particularly uh, big this year um, one of them was called the legendary feature, which is basically just a change in color. Uh, you know, if you, if for some of the skills, so the, so the red circles in our, in our home screen, uh, they're called skills. And before legendary, you can only uh, basically go around that circle five times. We added a sixth time. And uh, you can only do that if you were a, a plus subscriber. And that added, um, you know, that added more conversion. And so there's stuff like that. Uh, that, that drove it. Um, I'll let Matt add the, uh, answer the, the couple of other questions, including, you know, what's, what's the implied rate. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Mario, for that. Um, when it comes to costs and gross margin, as you mentioned, you know, we're, um, as we mentioned on the last call, we're still expecting, you know, about 150 basis points improvement, uh, mainly from the Google Play and, um, shift in, in costs. So that, that still holds from last call. And then to your point around operating leverage, you know, as we mentioned multiple times before, we plan to continue to invest in R&D, so uh, you should not expect to see operating leverage in that as a percentage of revenue. However, in sales and marketing, we do expect operating leverage over the course of the year. And on GNA, uh, just given this our first full year uh, being public, uh, it'll be, you know, pretty close. Uh, not a ton of operating leverage there this year. Um, so thanks. Yeah, that's a good question. Great. Thanks, Elise. Thanks, Matt. The next question comes from Eric Sheridan of Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Thank you so much for taking the questions, um, too. If I could, maybe following up on Mario's question about the margins, can, can you help unpack where some of the dollars on the marketing side uh, might be aimed, either from a qualitative or quantitative standpoint? You talked a little bit about underpenetrated markets and, and sort of driving greater product adoption, but maybe we can get a little more granular on where those dollars get spent and, and how you think about the return of those dollars, not just in 2022, but as the platform continues to scale in 2023. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks, thank you, Eric, for your question. So, you know, the first thing to, to know is the vast majority of our growth is organic. So we, most of our growth comes from, from word of mouth. Um, though we are spending some in marketing. I mean, what, what we've decided to do is, um, you know, we take, we, we have a, a number of markets that are just less penetrated. In particular, Asia is, is the fastest growing market, but it is less penetrated than, than, than all our other markets, like, you know, Europe and the Americas. Um, so we're, 
what, what we do is we typically pick, pick a country. There's, there's a few that, that we target. Um, and then we, we, we try to decide which are the best ways to market. We have found that influencer marketing works pretty well in certain countries, uh, like India and Japan, for example. Um, and then, you know, we spend some money. The amount that we spend per country is not a lot. So a country the size of Japan uh, is, is probably, you know, we, we would spend maybe a million or two million in the year. And then what that does is that gets our, our organic flywheel going, the word of mouth going, and then just, that just takes, up, takes us up. Uh, another example, by the way, this is kind of the, 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 the paid marketing, but actually a lot of our marketing effort has also gone on just things that are not paid. For example, our TikTok, uh, you know, for, for those of you who have seen it, I mean, this is, we don't spend money on that. This is entirely organic, and, and our TikTok, uh, you know, has, has gotten literally over 500 million views uh, just because, you know, our brand is so strong that we're able to really appeal to, to you know, all the, all the TikTok users. So this is the type of stuff that we do. Great. Thank you so much for the color. Appreciate it. The next question comes from Aaron Kessler of Raymond James. Please go ahead. Great. Uh, thank you. A couple of questions. Maybe first, um, if you can update us on the regional pricing initiative, kind of the progress you're making there. May along the same lines, may if you can give us an updated breakout of U.S. versus international for revenues or bookings and uh, paid subs. Um, and then maybe finally, just Duolingo for schools. Are you starting to see this effort also drive uh, kind of increased uh, subscriptions as well for at-home usage? Thank you. Um, great question. So, uh, you know, the, in terms of um, uh, regional pricing, um, you know, just to, just to give some background, when we IPO'd or right, right before we IPO'd, we had the same price in every single country in the world. We knew, of course, that was not optimal. Uh, and what we've done since then, we've, we started trying different prices in, in, in a few countries. In so far, there are four countries where we've launched different prices, um, and we are working on doing it basically for every country in the world. Um, the reason you can't change this super fast is because everything we do, of course, we A/B test, and these A/B tests take a little while to run because whenever you know, whenever we run a new price on something, first of all, we try multiple prices. And then what we're doing is it, it takes a while for people, we you know whenever they sign up on Duolingo, it takes a while for them to subscribe for some of them. And also we, are, we have to measure renewal rates, which take a while to measure. So, so some of this is, you know, is, is, you know, takes some time. But I'd say throughout this year, we are going to basically, you know, probably have different prices in, in, in every single country. Now, what I will say is this is just one of many levers that we have for increasing conversion and also increasing bookings. Uh, you know, ultimately, the way we increase uh, our, our bookings and our penetration of, of paid subscribers is by running again hundreds of A/B tests. This is this is just one one of those levers. And I will say the other thing about um, uh, regional pricing is we believe that this will have an impact. However, it is not probably not going to have this insane impact uh, that some people may believe, where like you know it's going to double revenue or something. Because what's happening is that. Uh, you know, the countries that we get most of our bookings from usually are the developed countries, so, you know, the U.S., Western Europe, et cetera. In those places, the prices aren't likely to change too much. Uh, now, in the places where, where the, the, the prices are, are likely to change more, these are usually more, you know, kind of developing countries or where the, the GDP per capita is lower. Um, there, uh, so we will change – our product is probably too expensive, so we will probably lower the prices, what will end up happening. But – there are, there's more than one barrier in, in many of those countries for people to subscribe. Probably the, uh, you know, you know the, the price is one. Another one is just that in, in many of these countries, uh, digital subscriptions are just not that uh, mature as they are in a country like the U.S. or in Western Europe. So we see regional pricing as something that is a necessary condition 
for us to really, you know, make a lot more uh, bookings from, from, from many of these countries, but not necessarily a sufficient condition. So that's just something that, that is important. Um, uh, I, I will uh, also answer, you asked about schools. Um, the schools uh, uh, initiative, so just also to give you some context, um, uh, we have uh, this thing called Duolingo for Schools. Uh, it is a dashboard that teachers can use uh, when their students, so their students are using just the normal Duolingo app, and Duolingo for Schools is a dashboard that teachers can use to track their students' progress. Uh, we, we relaunched Duolingo for Schools in 2021. Uh, that, that, that did really well, and, and we're seeing it definitely get more and more adoption in schools. Right now, our best belief, by the way, we don't know exactly how many schools use us because they don't have to tell us necessarily that they use us. Um, so, uh, you know, our best belief is that about 40% of U.S. language teachers use Duolingo for schools, and that's in the U.S. There's, you know, other numbers internationally. So we're seeing that help with adoption. So far, um, uh, you know, we don't have any reports on, on, on what exactly this does for uh, our subscriptions, but, you know, we are assuming that many of these students in the end ultimately are subscribing as well. So the main thing that this is helping with is it's growing our user base. And then, Aaron, just to jump in there on one of your questions on uh, U.S. versus rest of the world, it didn't change materially from 2020, which uh, in 2021, it was about 44%, 45% U.S. and the remainder rest of the world. So that stayed pretty consistent. And that's booking. And that's uh, revenue. Revenue. Right? That's revenue. Oh. Great. That's helpful. Thank you. Next question comes from Ralph Schnagert of William Blair. Please go ahead. Uh, good evening. Thanks for taking the question. On the uh, family plan, and the letter you talked about seeing some uh, um, early results that you're encouraged by and, and increasing the visibility of that uh, this year, just curious what you're seeing. I know it's probably early, but just any thoughts on that product and thoughts on conversion and, and how that might impact uh, you know, 2022 and going forward? Yeah. Uh, family plan, uh, thank you, Ralph, uh, for your question, by the way. This is something that we're very excited about. Um, I, I, I do want to remind uh, uh, you and everyone that, you know, Family Plan is one of many, many levers that we have to pull. You know, regional pricing is another one, but it's just ultimately the way we grow uh, our bookings is just by running hundreds and uh, hundreds and hundreds of A-B tests. Family Plan is one we're very excited about. Uh, it, it's in its early days uh, right now. I mean, it's in, you know, low percentage points of, of all our subscribers are in, in the Family Plan, but it is growing pretty fast, actually. Um, and we're very excited by it for two reasons. The first one is that it, it really seems to increase lifetime value of our subscribers uh, because what ends up happening is you, you know, subscribe for a family plan for your family, but also, you know, your significant other is in that family plan and maybe your, your son and your daughter are in that family plan. And maybe you stop using Duolingo, but as long as anybody in your family is still using it, you still keep paying. So we have data that really shows that those who are in the family plan just have significantly better retention in terms of payers. So we're very excited by that. This should help with our retention quite a bit. And then the other reason why I'm personally excited, and this is more in the long, the long term, um, the more we can have people in our family plan, the more we know, you know, they're a family. And, you know, a lot of the products that we're working on, for example, we're working on, on, a, on a math app for elementary school math. Uh, we launched Duolingo ABC already, which is a literacy app for, you know, kids to learn how to read ages, call it three to six. Um, those are people who belong in a family. And the, the more we have, you know, people in our family plan subscription on Duolingo, the more, the more we'll be able to cross-promote these other products there. So the, the way we see it, I mean, we're not yet doing that, but the way we see it, family plan is going to be a really uh, um, strong glue for, for many of our new products. 
So this is this is why we're excited by it. Great, thanks, Luis. Maybe I could just add one more. Just as you know, you talk about broadening out beyond languages, maybe specifically math. Just curious how the testing is going. I know you do quite a bit of testing, and just curious, just in terms of the rollout, how uh, wide that will be. Will it be focused on certain geographic areas? But just the way you plan to roll that out, be uh, helpful to know. Thank you. Great. Uh, so yeah, so the math app, we're working on it. It, you know, if, uh, of course I'm biased, but it looks beautiful. Uh, uh, but we're working on it. We have not uh, released it yet. Uh, we're going, we're going to release it this year. Um, I, I cannot comment yet on exactly what the rollout plan is, um, because we haven't quite decided on that, but, you know, pretty likely that's going to be at least, uh, uh, you know, in English speaking countries. Um, I don't know if we're going to localize it to other English on, at, at the very beginning on day one. Um, but yeah, we're going to roll it out and that's something that we're, we're, we're pretty excited by it. Um, I should say one thing that I think is important for people to understand. Uh, we're going to roll it out. And it's going to be great. But the way we uh, do product at Duolingo is we have our products grow organically. So we're going to put it out, and it's going to take some time for it to really start growing. And then after it has grown to a reasonable size, then we're going to start monetizing it in some sort of freemium manner because that is what we do at Duolingo, and that's going to take some time. So my sense is, you know, if you're expecting the math app to give any kind of uh, meaningful revenue this year, Basically, that's not something you should expect, and, and probably not even next year. My, my sense is we're going to launch this year. We're going to use next year to grow the user base quite a bit and then probably have meaningful revenue, you know, after that. That makes sense. Thanks, Luis. Really helpful. The next question comes from Justin Patterson of KeyBank. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you very much. Luis, it sounds like a meaningful year for innovation in the core language app. How do you think about the impact the redesign and more social features could have upon engagement and conversion versus prior feature rollouts like Hearts and Legendary? And then for Matt, the transition to more annual memberships has been very positive toward LTV. Um, given that dynamic, how do you think about the pace of reinvestment um, across marketing and engineering? Thank you. Um, thank you, Justin. Uh, these, are, these are great questions. I mean, this because I love to, to you know, talk about our innovation. Um, so, yes, we're very excited about a number of features that we're pulling out this year. Um, one is this redesign of the home screen. Um, uh, again, I, I, I think it looks beautiful. Um, we're we're going to start testing it. And I think it's going to have a number of, of uh, you know, of, of good good effects. Um, I think my, well, our hope is that it's going to improve user retention, uh, free user retention in particular, um, we also think it's going to help us teach better. Uh, I mean, the, the, new, the new redesign has been really done with a lot of input from our learning scientists. Uh, so I think it's going to help us teach better, and I also think it's going to simplify the app quite a bit. Uh, you know, one of the things about the Duolingo app is as, 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 we, you know, as we become more mature, it's become more and more complex. And, you know, we, we, we like simplification. I think that's going to help quite a bit. Uh, so we, we have a, a lot of things. You know, that's just one thing. Uh, but we're doing a, a, a number of other features that you'll see, um, you know, and you should probably just download the app and see how much it changes uh, over the year. Um, and I think, Matt, the, the next question. Yeah. No, thanks, Justin. Um, it's a great point about the uh, focus on LTV. I'm just glad you asked that question in that way because it gives me a chance to just echo something Luis has already said, which is, you know, we run a bunch of tests, hundreds of tests, uh, every quarter and every year um, to experiment with ways to increase subscriber LTV. Uh, you mentioned uh, Hearts and Health, which is a great uh, improver of LTV. The annual plan is one. 
family plan is another, but these are just examples of some of the ways that we are continually focused on improving LTV over time. Um, and that's really how we think about uh, our growth opportunities. We have growth opportunities in the main uh, language learning app. We have growth opportunities in assessment and literacy and math, as Luis just mentioned. And so we're excited to deploy capital against uh, those opportunities because we think there's high returns there. And specifically, to go back to something I've mentioned um, and I'm a bit of a broken record on, we really like to invest our capital um, into talent, and specifically talent in R&D, so that they can uh, execute against all those experiments and capitalize on the opportunities we see to have those, uh, those high ROIs. That's why this year, again, you should not expect to see operating leverage in our R&D line. Um, and while we've gotten much more efficient at marketing and we have really uh, innovative playbooks, especially in the developing markets, um, and we're going to spend an absolute dollar more in marketing, we will expect or we do expect to see operating leverage in, in marketing uh, as opposed to R&D. Great. Thank you. Question comes from Nat Schindler of Bank of America. Please go ahead. Yes, hi guys. Um, thanks for this. And you guys did such a great job increasing your uh, conversion to pain uh, this year. Obviously, can you walk us through and maybe break that number down a little bit by, you know, maybe a little bit by region? I assume that's much higher in the U.S. and Europe and the in the developed world. Um, and one to know if when do we hit a of what you think is a functional barrier. Where is the pay? Where could it go? Uh, well, thank you for this question, uh, Matt. Uh, I think, um, uh, so, okay, so there's a couple of things. So you're right. Um, generally, uh, payer conversion is higher in, well, wealthier countries. Uh, that, that's generally the case. Uh, we, we don't think we are uh, anywhere near uh, a kind of a wall. Uh, you know, as you saw, there's actually an acceleration of, of you know, by percentage points of, of how we're growing there. Um, it, it's very hard to say how high we can get. I mean, basically, the way we grow this, again, is by basically just uh, running, you know, hundreds of A-B tests that get more and more people to subscribe. We have a long list of A-B tests still to run over the next, you know, several years. We have a lot of levers that we can pull. And so we, we think that that's going to continue growing. But it's very hard for us to know, you know, uh, how much it's going to grow. I mean, right now we're around 6%, 6.2% or something like that uh, of our monthly active users are paid subscribers. Um, you know, you could look at comps. So our, our business model is pretty similar to the dating apps. Uh, and, and, you know, they are, they, those are at around 12%. Um, our business model is also pretty similar to Spotify, which is, you know, around 50%. I don't actually think we're going to get to 50%. But I don't. I, I see no reason why we can't get to something like where the dating apps are. But again, I, I really want to caution here, saying ultimately I don't know how high I can get. This is this is just something that we're going to continue increasing over over the next few years. Uh, you know, the, the last thing I would say, even though Duolingo has been around for about ten years, our monetization is still pretty early. I mean, we only started monetizing in you know 2017, kind of uh, you know towards the end of 2017 that we started in earnest. So, so you know, there's just a lot, a lot that we don't know, and and, and a lot of opportunities still. Yeah, and that's the only thing I would add to that is just to go back um, to what I said on the last earnings call about our growth framework. And so, it's not just user penetration. Obviously, that's an important metric, and we track it, and we're driving that up. Um, but remember, we uh, saw a return 
uh, to pre-COVID level user growth rates. We saw a re-acceleration of user growth as well. So we have, we have multiple ways to increase our monetization. User growth obviously growing nicely is, is great, and we're, we're hardened by that. Um, the other two things uh, that are really underlying that metric are retention and conversion, both of which we saw uh, really strong trends in Q4 um, that we believe will continue on. So, uh, you know, it's really on all three of those dimensions, user growth, retention, uh, sorry, user growth, conversion, and retention, uh, we're, we're just doing really well on. Okay, then to just follow up on this just a tiny bit, um, on top of just the demographic shift towards uh, the, the geographic shift of, of payers versus uh, non-payers, so it's heavily in first-world countries, not surprising, isn't there also a demographic shift? Outside of your family plan, do many of those kids who are doing this for school pay, or is it mostly adults who are using it self-improvement or learning before they go on the trip or something? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. You know, one of the interesting things about working on Duolingo is that, you know, our user base is just so wide. We really have, you know, we really have kids aged six using Duolingo to, you know, adults aged literally 100 that we get, we get stories from. And it's, you know, it's pretty much uh, this, the, the, the main thing that tells you whether somebody's going to pay or not so far is, you know, kind of how much money they have. Um, that, that's, that's basically it. But, but, yeah, I don't think there's a much of a – I don't think we have seen much in terms of, of – of, you know, kind of age distributions, et cetera. Great. Thank you. The next question comes from Andrew Boone of JMP Securities. Please go ahead. Good afternoon, guys, and, and thanks for taking my question, too, please. Um, following up on Justin's questions, you guys offered some compelling metrics in the growth of congratulatory messages. Can you talk about increasing social interaction on the platform and just help us understand the benefits that that brings? Is that usage, engagement, or anything else? And then question number two is just talk about the impact from Omicron in December and January. Is, is there anything to call out there? And is there anything else to think about as we think about additional variants or, or just broadly the reopening? Thanks so much. Great, great, Andrew. Thank you, thank you for the question. So, okay, so social, I mean, social, as, as, I, as I said in, in, in the shareholder letter, social is one of the things I'm most excited about. Um, uh, we've, we've been, we, we really started working on social in earnest over roughly the last year. Um, you know, we have a team behind it uh, that is a very high-performing team. And, and, you know, what they've done is, uh, uh, well, they've, they've added basically a, a, a social layer behind Duolingo where people can follow each other and send congratulatory messages um, this, we, we've had a lot of growth on that. I mean, like, like I said in, in our shareholder letter, uh, at the beginning of the year, we probably have had about 1% of our daily active users were sending congratulatory messages to each other. By now, it's about 10%. Uh, we also have uh, the number of people that follow at least – the number of daily active users that follow at least three other learners on Duolingo is now 25%. So we really are a much more social app than we were, you know, even a year ago. That's going to continue happening and, and the way we're going to continue increasing that is by basically, uh, you know, letting people do more with their connections. So, uh, and, you know, I, I, I can't really tell you exactly what these things are uh, because we're going to be testing, you know, a, a lot of different things. But we're going, to, we're going to be letting them do more things with, you know, with their friends. And we've seen that that actually moves our KPIs. It gets people to spend more time on the app. It gets people to uh, come back to the app more, uh, you know, more more days, so it increases user retention. 
uh, and it also, you know, because they're spending more time and retain, retain better, are also, it's also increasing the, the, the fraction of people that, that actually pay for a subscription. So the, the, social, the social component really is having an impact on, on the KPIs. The other thing that I really like about the social component is that uh, it adds network effects. Uh, so it, it's something that, you know, now that your friends are also on Duolingo, uh, you know, it, Duolingo just gets better the more people that use it. And then that's something that we're very proud of. Um, and then you also asked, so that's the, for social, you asked about Omicron. You know, honestly, we didn't see much of that. Uh, you know, for us, we're not, um, uh, you know, there's some, there's, there's some products or something that got a, a humongous quadruple boom or something whenever there was, uh, um, you know, COVID. We, we did get a boom at, uh, you know, in 2020 when there was, uh, um, uh, you know, the, the first kind of wave of COVID. After that, uh, you know, un- unless there's like really strict lockdowns, we don't see much of an impact. So what, you know, what has happened to our, to our growth rate is we were growing organically before COVID and just we were growing this whole time. Then COVID came and for the first, you know, two, three months of COVID, we did see uh, an increase. Then after that, we saw a slight decrease when the world opened back up and, and since then, We've basically been going back to pre-COVID growth rates, and this is what we're observing now, and this is why you saw, for example, an acceleration of the growth rate of our MAUs and DAUs in the fourth quarter, um, because it's basically we're now back to grow, uh, uh, pre-COVID growth rates. Great. Thank you. Again, if you have any questions, please press star, then one. And our next question will come from Mark Mahaney of Evercore ISI. Please go ahead. Thanks. Uh, two questions, please. Uh, first, maybe you covered it earlier. I didn't hear. They uh, In the quarter, you added um, whatever, 700,000 MAUs. That seemed like a big number. The last two December quarters, you actually had a sequential decline. So just talk through that. Like, what is was there something unusual in the, corner of the quarter that causes MAU growth to be so strong? And just thinking about how we want to extrapolate that going forwards, and, and maybe it's just we shouldn't rely on the – prior years because the company was too small. But just is there any color behind that 700,000? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I, you know, there's just a lot of things that are working really well. Um, uh, one of the things that I think is, is unique to the, to the fourth quarter, but I think we're going to see it in every, fourth, in every fourth quarter going forward, is our year in review campaign. So that is something that we, you know, we kind of uh, discovered, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, where the idea is that, you know, Around, call it December 15, uh, there's a thing that basically shows up in your app that tells you, that here's how you did the whole year, and then you can share that. It turns out a lot of people like sharing this because they feel good telling everybody that this year they learned Italian or they learned German or something. So it's, some, it's like a feel-good thing. So when we put that out there, um, it really, uh, it, you know, we got literally millions and millions of shares in social media. We became a top 10 trending topic on Twitter. Uh, uh, Duolingo hashtag, you know, Duolingo 365 or something became a trending topic on Twitter because of that. So it's a, it's a specific fourth quarter thing that we're probably going to be seeing uh, there. Uh, another thing that uh, has worked really well for us in the fourth quarter was our TikTok. Again, this is a, this is a completely unpaid, uh, you know, marketing thing. It's just basically we have a TikTok channel, and because our brand is so strong and we really have, you know, we, we, we've done a lot of really good stuff with our mascot in TikTok, it appeals to a lot of people, and with essentially no marketing spend. I mean, we're not spending any marketing other than, you know, the salary of the people who are doing this. Um, uh, uh, you know, we've gotten over 500 million video views on TikTok. Um, and, you know, as far as I know, we're probably the, the brand that gets the most interactions on TikTok of all brands. Uh, so I think that, that that's another thing that has been, um, you know, pretty, pretty good. And in addition to that, of course, the thing that always helps us, which is uh, just continuous product improvements. Great. 
Okay. And, and, and Mark, as you, talk, as you asked about extrapolation just on the go forward, um, you know, we had said historically our pre-COVID MAU growth rate was about, you know, anywhere between 10 and 15% and our, our DAU growth rate was around 20% plus or minus. And that's kind of what we're seeing. And so as you think about the, the forward, you know, we don't have any reason to believe we're not back at those levels of growth. Uh, and then our historical seasonality um, is probably at play as well. You know, the the 2020 and some of 2021 seasonality was a little bit, um, you know, muddled because of the COVID uh, spikes. But we think we're back to the normal, uh, not only growth rates, but also seasonality throughout the course of the year. Okay. And if I could ask, uh, ask uh, one more question on the, the math pro- product. So, Luis, what, what – just give us just a tease of what this thing is. I mean, are we doing um, basic elementary math? Are we doing, uh, you know, calculus? Are we doing sophisticated Wall Street math? Um, that was a joke, but uh, but just you know, like who, who's the market going to be for for this this math product when it comes out? Mark, it is a slide ruler. I'm kidding. No, that's not what it is. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, so, so it's an app, of course. That's what we do. Um, uh, you know, we're gonna start with elementary school math. Um, so think of, fra- I actually, I, you know, I use the app every single day because, you know, I test it every single day. I've gotten very good at fractions, I will tell you. Um, so, so it's basically elementary school math. Okay. If I could just put in a request, if you could, if you're gonna launch it, do it before September. I'm just asking on behalf of a friend, but that's when the school <laughs> yeah. oh, Okay. I much appreciate that. <laughs> on behalf of a third grader that you may know. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. I'm good. This concludes our question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Louis, Louis Von On for any closing remarks. Thank you very much. Uh, I just want to say really great questions uh, uh, to everybody, and, and uh, yeah, we're, we're very proud of the great quarter that we had, and uh, we'll, hopefully we'll talk, you know, in, in next quarter. The conference is now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation, and you may now disconnect.